Welcome to Theosophia, a podcast for women's voices and theology. I'm Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and today's episode is part two with Keegan Ozinski, my Southern Nazarene friend. Get excited, y'all, because today we discuss my favorite thing about the Christian faith, the Eucharist. Here we go. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. Also, it's Sunday. I took my yes. Eucharist this morning, so I'm ready to go. I always, we use, um, I don't know, do you guys use port or wine or grape juice? What do you guys do? Grape juice. Grape juice. See, that's not near as awesome as the port we use in the Episcopal Church. I could <laughs> I could sip on a whole glass of that if they let me during Just the service. God, it is delicious. <laughs> I'm always so upset that I just get a little sip of it. You know? <laughs> It's just delicious. I really appreciate that about the Episcopals and the uh, the Catholics. We drink the good stuff. <laughs> I guess I want to set it up. I'm just going to read this epigraph quote that you used for your paper um, that I think it might be, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but maybe a good way in your mind of how to talk about God just in general or just... Um, yeah. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it and cool. then you can tell me what you think. So, and the guy is a theologian, Tillard. How do you say his name? I don't know. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to tear this up, but it, it's something like Pierre Tillard de Chardin. We'll go that for that. Right so me. he says, blessed be you, mighty matter, irresistible march of evolution reality ever newborn. You who, by constantly shattering our mental categories, force us to go ever further and further in our pursuit of the truth. I just, I love that. I just, I really like that. What were you thinking when, yeah. you, when you read that? Uh, well, so, so that was the epigraph on the, the paper that was the, we who are many are one body. Yes. And the multiplicity and the, the, and well, I think it was like something about multiplicity and the real presence of Christ. Yes. Um, and so I, I, I guess, so I'm really fascinated by material, like the material aspects of religion, uh, material expressions of religion. Um, Eucharist, obviously I'm getting more interested in relics. Mm. Uh, I haven't, read a ton about them yet but just the idea of like these like physical things items uh bones whatever um that have like this huge significance um for people's religion and how they practice their religion Mm -hmm. um and so when i read that quote i was obviously struck but it's like a prayer to matter um and so i was like yeah that's right like matter like the stuff it's it's the mm-hmm. stuff that um, makes this all work. Um, so, you know, as far as like even spirituality, it's really easy to just think about, oh, we're meditating and we are reading and thinking. Like um, outside of our body. Yeah, it's all very like cerebral and like touchy-feely sometimes. Um but like you can't even do any of that stuff. You can't even read or think or, you know, have a feeling without a body. Without um, eating. Yeah, or without eating. <laughs> exactly. So um 
so yeah, so this quote talks about matter. It talks about evolution and reality yes. and like all of these like actual things in the world. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about. But also we're talking about it in a really religious way, a really spiritual way. Um, that is like a prayer. Um, mm -hmm. so like, I'm also interested in like the idea of like material or physical prayer. So like, so when I take the Eucharist, for example, I cross myself, like I do the sign of the cross, like I'm an evangelical, like I go to an evangelical church <laughs> and people are, I get looks sometimes. I bet like, you do. <laughs> what is she doing? And so I'll like receive, I'll take, I'll receive the bread. I'll dip it in the cup. I'll eat it. I'll cross myself. I go to the, to the altar and I kneel mm -hmm. while I'm eating. Um, this is something I picked up when I started going to Nazarene church, actually, even though it's definitely weird for a Nazarene church to do. Do you have to intinct? Um, or do you choose? Yes. So, well, yeah, we, the church that I go to intinks. Okay. Um, it's again, it depends on where you go. Um, some people do little cups. I don't know of anyone that does common cup, like drinks from it. The, in the Nazarene in church. The Nazarene church. Okay. Yeah. So intinction, uh, just so people know, is where you, you take the bread and you dip it in the common cup. Right. Yeah. And then you eat it. Yes. Um, so yeah, so I do that. I cross myself, I kneel. And so I kneel there. Like that's part of my like physical practice of prayer. Like, and as I'm like eating and like having this, moment to like think about like okay i'm eating the body of christ i'm becoming yes. the body of christ i'm part of it like it's like it's like half reminder and half like it's actually happening right now <laughs> um and so like the act of like kneeling and like having that like physical uh like practice to go with it um means a lot to me yes. and then like I usually cross myself when I get up again yes. and go back to my seat um so that's like a you know I think of it as like a body prayer um same with like lighting a candle so that's another thing like Nazarenes don't really light candles but um, <laughs> you're such but, an Episcopalian I know that's what you um, are <laughs> it's true probably <laughs> deep down um but yeah so right this idea that like you're it, as a prayer you're lighting this candle and then the candle prays for you. Right. Like it's like keeping that prayer going uh, yeah. as it's lit, um, which is just a completely different way of thinking than being like hands folded, like head bowed, like yes. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And if you like look up or open your eyes or look around, like you're not praying anymore. Um, but this idea of like if you light a candle and then you go wash the dishes, like mm – -hmm the candle's still praying for you. See, we did um, this at Notre Dame all the time. We have a grotto. So mm -hmm. the grotto's like a cave uh, where ours, we had just a bunch of candles and then Mother Mary, like a statue, an icon of Mary. And it's a very sacred place on campus where you go and they, but they provide candles and you can put them in the little, you know, mm -hmm. candle mm -hmm. holder and you light those are, and I always thought, and that's what they taught us when we got there. Those are the prayers of the people. Yeah. So people come and they say their prayer, they light their candle and they put it there and they know like, you know, it's, it's going until that thing cooks all the way down. So it's, it could take months. I don't know. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously like none of that's new. Um, Like I didn't, I didn't come up with this, (laughs) Um, but because like I didn't grow up in church and even now, like I'm not really in a church that has these same kinds of traditions. Like, I think that's part of why it's really interesting to me. Like a lot of people ask like, why are you so into Eucharist? Like that's not a normal it's like not a Nazarene thing to be into and I'm like I think it's because it's not a Nazarene thing to be into like I'm really interested in it um yeah my my grandfather grew up Catholic and he was not Catholic once I knew him um but he even though he was like very like against the church not interested didn't even want to talk about church things even though he knew I was like studying theology he just wasn't interested but Anytime he saw me or anytime I left his house or anything, he would always tell me, Hey, like light a candle for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, it was a, it was a joke. Um, but he died a couple of years ago. And now like, I still will like mm-hmm. actually light a candle for him. Mm-hmm. And I'm still thinking through like what that means. Um, but it's yeah, it's something I think about a lot because yeah, it's just not part of anything I was really taught, but I just kind of like ended up getting into it, picking it up on my own, even though there is like this connection in my family history or whatever mm-hmm. that it eventually will make sense of it or something. It'll come full circle, that kind of thing. Yes. I love physical practices, even um like anointing with oil. Mm-hmm. I love um, and just like blessing people with it or using it to help in healing prayer, whatever it is. Um, I love that physical act of someone touching you and, and applying an ointment from the earth. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the whole, uh, I, it's, it's like Christianity's sense of like embodied practices, um, to me, but what, let's go back to Eucharist. So what, why do you think the Eucharist is important to the church? I mean, for me, as I'll say over and over again, the Eucharist is foundational to my faith. It's foundational to the the worship service to me. If we don't do anything else in the service and just do Eucharist, like I understand what's happening. And that makes total sense to me. I do not care hardly at all for the sermon or the music. I just don't. But the Eucharist to me, all of the meaning is wrapped up in that. And so all the other stuff is just kind of icing on the cake, you know, it kind of gives it this fluff or flair, but the Eucharist is like the meat. It's like, it's the climax too of, of the Episcopal service and the Catholic service, the whole service like builds up to this moment. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what I'm really interested in. So, but what do you think it means to the church and, and to us as individual believers, I guess? Yeah. So I can go about, I can think about this two different ways. Like, so for me personally, um, I, so I became a Christian sometime in like middle school, high school. Um, but I feel like I had some kind of like real conversion experience, uh, receiving Eucharist once when I was, um, at that Nazarene church in San Diego. That's your Pentecostal side. Right. Yeah. It was like half, it's like, it's like a liturgical, uh, liturgical (laughs) altar call, um, 
so that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. So um, I, I was going to a really liturgical church there. So like it was Nazarene, but it was still very, impl- uh, the pastor went to Notre Dame. So oh, cool. Um, he was like really influenced there. So, um, but yeah, so I, I had this experience where I received Eucharist and it was, it was shortly after I started coming back to church. Cause like after everything blew up with my home church and I was, I took a break understandably. Um, and then started going to the Nazarene church. Um, shortly after I started going back, I received Eucharist there one time and I was kneeling at the altar, just like, that's what you do. That's what you did at that church. Everyone did it. Um, and I just had this moment of just like, Oh, like this, this is who I am. Like, this is a, this is part of my identity, like this is who I am. Like I am a member of the body of Christ. Like I am part of Christ. I am part of these people in this room. I'm part of all these people in this world who are taking Eucharist right now. Ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had this, like, it, it was, it was really powerful. Um, and so I think of a lot of my work is actually just kind of trying to make sense of what happened that day. <laughs> um, I like that. I like that. And like, I've had similar experiences since then uh, where, you know, I, cause I take Eucharist basically every week, but you know, it doesn't always happen. It's not always magic. Um, but sometimes it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's why I keep showing up because like, why? And, um, what, how does that work? Um, and so as far as for the church more broadly, so that's kind of my personal way in um it's important for me because i that's where i kind of am reaffirmed in my identity as a christian like okay this is who i am i'm part of this body i'm part of christ um and so i think more broadly for christians it's important because it it creates this body um Mm -hmm. that kind of unifies all these different people in all these different places for all of time, um, which is really mind blowing. Um, but you know, you also think of like, uh, what is it like the third law of thermodynamics or whatever that like matters, neither created nor destroyed. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about matter. Mm -hmm. Um, all the matter in the world is all the matter that's always been here Mm -hmm. or like in space anyways, it all comes and goes. Um, Mm -hmm. and so the matter of Christ the body of Christ is these people and also these other people that are from the past or the future. They're going to be here. Um, And this like tree outside this window probably has some kind of like particles in it from some Christian somewhere that's part of the body of Christ. Right. So like it gets really weird really fast, but, (laughs) (laughs) but that is actually what I find really interesting about it. Um, so, yeah, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I read this beautiful quote um, in a book I'm reading by some sort of Native American uh, chief said, yeah, you you must teach your children that the ground beneath their feet is the ashes of their grandfathers. Well, we're yeah. All, we're and all I, connected. We don't leave, really, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I think, and I think that actually brings up another point, too, about, like, christian supremacy right um so 
this idea of like, oh, but like Eucharist is only about the Christians. So if you're not a Christian, you're not involved in this. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I'm not interested in thinking about it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just think like having a Christian lens through which to look at this interconnectivity um, is an interesting way to do it. Like, I think the interconnectivity is there regardless. Um, But I think thinking of it in a Christian way uh, might be useful for people who are Christians. Yeah, (laughs) Um, I think that's... that's Because I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot that, you know, some pushback. Because there are some people who are like, oh, yeah, Eucharist will fix everything. Like, there will there won't be wars anymore if everyone can just like be a Christian and have Eucharist together. Um, I was like, okay, (laughs) Um, maybe, but that's, I'm not interested in trying to do that. Uh, That is not my project. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, I think I, I, I am a Christian and that's just how I find myself and situate myself. And so I think to talk to other Christians, in a Christian way about these things is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have any illusions that it's the only way to think about these things. Yeah. Yeah. I like thinking about pub theology when I do pub theology gatherings as a form of doing Eucharist, right? We're sitting around, we're eating, we're drinking together as a community. Um, just like to me, Christ instituted it. I mean, obviously there's all these nice words he he said about himself and what each thing means, but that we're gathered together, you know, nourishing our bodies and being in fellowship too are parts of what unite us in that moment. And so that's where I love in it. Like pub theology, again, like you said, kind of like, uh, what were you talking about? Lighting candles. Like you didn't make this up. I didn't make mm-hmm. up pub theology. Right, really. Yeah eating and drinking and talking is something people have been doing since <laughs> we knew how like we were here. So I've just packaged it and yeah, make it Christian, I guess, like you're saying. Um, but talk to me about now how you see the Eucharist as deconstructive and how it breaks down hierarchies. Yeah. So along the same lines of like interconnectivity, um, you have, if, if you're talking about the creation of a body um, out of these like disparate bodies, so you have like all these humans who, when they do this thing, uh, become somehow one body. Um, it's kind of, it's unifying of all of these people and equalizing. So I think, I think that's a word that you used before. Yeah. Um, So I I guess, you know, in the same way that like everyone, like everyone poops, right? Everyone eats, like even rich folks, poor folks, you know, sick, well, like all kinds of like literally everyone uh eats right or so if everyone eats at this table of christ it is this kind of like equalizing event um and our humanness that's what i wrote down about that yeah yeah shared a moment of eating is a shared moment of humanness Mm -hmm. yeah it's like well i mean you gotta eat so if if, Mm -hmm. you think you're above that like okay bye (laughs) (laughs) 
but uh, so yeah and and I think I mean there's definitely problems with this in the Christian church right mm-hmm. so um especially you have like a, a international church like the church of the Nazarene where you have all kinds of different folks in different countries speaking different languages um and there are power issues there's issues with money um but i i went to the general assembly for the church of nazarene like just the big denominational meeting this summer Mm -hmm. and there were uh delegates from every country where the church of nazarene has churches Mm -hmm. and we all came together for several services um and there was a Eucharist service, and it was really, it was, and I don't want to get too cheesy about it, because, like, it it can easily, like, get cheesy, because, like, and also it did, like, it, there was definitely the whole, like, everyone sang a song in their own language, and, like, that was really cool, but I think, like, the Americans thought it was a lot cooler than it was, like, <laughs> it was cool, sure, Um but there's kind of this like fetishism of mm. the other that was going on that I was really skeptical of. Mm. Um, but all that to say there, so there's issues, there's power dynamics, there's money involved. That's like, well, was everyone really in the room? Like, of course not, not everyone could afford like a thousand or more dollar plane ticket to get to Indianapolis. Like yeah. you're coming, like it's a global church, but we're always going to meet in Indianapolis. Like what's the deal with that? Yeah. Um, but all that to say, it was really cool to be in one giant room with all these different people from all these different places, speaking all these different languages and being connected to them Yes, in real life. Like this is what I think of, you know, most every week when I take Eucharist, like, okay, there's all these people in the world in all of time that I'm connected to right now in this moment, in this ritual. And to like actually do that in real life was really cool. That's right. Um, cool. Yes. And so, yeah, it's, it's unifying in that way, just to kind of get to a common, a common story, basically. Like that's, that's a one way I've really been thinking about mm. Chris- Christianity and like what it means for me to be a Christian um, is like, it's, it's a story mm-hmm. that I find myself in. Um, and I share this story with a lot of people who have mm-hmm. also found it to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, it, it, it like unifies around this story of Christ. Um, and then we get to like be an actual part of that story and that body. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's something like actually material going on in Eucharist. Like we are actually becoming integrated like into each other. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I don't know how it happens, but it does. <laughs> I don't know. That's faith, I guess. Yeah. But you say too, that it, it breaks down barriers of culture and race and gender and ethnicity. And we see that in Paul, I think talking about, you know, Galatians was at 328. There'll be no, and he's talking about like in the kingdom to come, right. That there will be no, no Greek or Jew or slave or free person, male or female. And I was talking to Chantel about this in our last episode and she was, you know, I think her critique to this would be, well, that she can't get on board with a brand of Christianity that dismisses her blackness. And I know that's not what you're saying in this. And that's not what I would say either about 
the Eucharist being an equalizer, that it erases all these things. I, I, I don't know. I know what I would say, but I want, I want you to tell me how you would, uh, you would deal with our identities outside of, uh, being Christian, all those other things that make us who we are. Yeah. And that, that's a great question. And that's definitely something that I have thought about and think about and definitely have thought about more since I wrote that paper that you're reading. Um, because yeah, that is a problem. That's, that's a challenge. Um, and especially that verse, right. In Galatians, uh, a lot of people struggle with that. I think like even women could, would rightly struggle against that too and be like, well, you know, like if I'm not a woman in the age to come, like, am I really even myself? Like, what is that? What would that even mean for me to be there and not be a woman? Um, it, it would be completely meaningless, like to be me there, right? But not a woman. So I totally get um, that critique. Um, and so I think the Eucharist being unifying and deconstructing of these boundaries is not about uh, erasing the individual identities, but about like welcoming them. Um, so it's not like it's That's a yeah. yeah, it's a unity. Unity with diversity, I think, is a way mm. you could you could put it. Like, it's not like a unity uh, without diversity or a unity, like, in spite of diversity. It's like a unity um, that really takes seriously diversity. Um, that's like, yeah, like, I get that you are different than I am, but we're also part of this body together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and once, I, like you said, the hierarchies break down, one is not better than the other. Right. Like white yeah. supremacy doesn't exist in the Eucharist, right? Yes, I, that's, that's one yeah. thing I would hope that that would obliterate. Like, okay, yeah. no, not today. Not right. Not in this ritual. There is no white supremacy, right? Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, that's exactly right. There would still be white. white like ones. I would still be a white person just the same way like Chantel would still be a black person right right um but there wouldn't be that sense of like better and worse and like oppression like that's not gonna that's not there like it's true solidarity it's true liberation um yeah I think that's something yeah that's something I would be interested in learning more about um because I'm I know like especially because of the like the importance of liberation theology in Latin America uh-huh. and the heavy like Catholic influence in Latin America that like there would be a lot of really good work on liberation theologies in Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read a little bit, um, but I know like Ernesto Cardinal has this book called uh, reading the gospel in Solentiname. Um, and there's some stuff in there that talks about Eucharist and liberation um, but that's something I definitely want to learn more about because I think something, another distinction that I've been thinking about a lot lately is the difference between equality and liberation. Mm. Um, cause I think this idea of like equality can actually be kind of sketch and harmful. Um, like making everyone equal is not the same as like liberating everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so Obviously, that's not really thought through yet, but I think, and I think there's some like liberative potential in Eucharist because of its, um, the way it, it brings us into deep solidarity with one another. Mm -hmm. 
and I think that that deep solidarity is at at the base of liberation uh, ultimately. Mm-hmm. I think, and, yeah, go ahead. Sean Copeland has some good stuff on this. I used for a pub theology and it, I was using on, uh, have you read any Sean Copeland? A little bit. It's called, I think you'd find this helpful. It's called in fleshing freedom, mm-hmm. uh, body race and being Eucharistic solidarity teaches us to imagine, to hope for, and to create new possibilities because that solidarity enfolds us. So she's using, I think, solidarity here uh, instead of maybe unity, the u- mm-hmm. word you're using. Uh, so because solidarity solidarity enfolds us rather than dismisses others, we act in love rather than refuse others. We respond in acts of self-sacrifice committing ourselves to the long labor of creation creation and the enfleshment of freedom. And then this last part I think will be is what you talk about in terms of reordering and remember remembering us that the Eucharist does. So the crucial social consequences of Eucharist can never overtake the real presence that Eucharist affects at the table that Jesus prepares all assemble. In his body, we are made anew, a community of faith, the living and the dead. In our presence, the Son of Man gathers up, gathers up the remnants of our memories, the broken fragments of our histories and judges, blesses and transforms them. His Eucharistic banquet reorders us, remembers us, restores us, and makes us one. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and I, I definitely think she she's definitely not saying get, getting getting rid of blackness whatsoever. Right. Yeah. And that's why I think that's why. Yeah. Like, so I was using the word unity, um, but I think it, that falls into the same pitfalls as like equality. Yeah. Um, where it's like, yeah, you know, like when you're talking about equality, like some people end up more equal than others. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And th- yeah. I think solidarity is definitely maybe a better way to think about it. Um, and hospitality also. Yes. So like, I think Eucharist when, well, yeah, I think Eucharist is like the ultimate hospitality, right? So it's a table that is for everyone. No questions asked. Uh, there's always enough. Um, it's like, you know, the, the love of God, the body of Christ. It's like, uh, I went to a lecture by Amy Laura Hall. Uh, I guess it was when I was an undergrad. It was a long time ago. She teaches at Duke. Um, But I just remember her talking a lot about the prodigal love of God. Like, it's just like, there's so much of it and he's always giving it out. Mm -hmm. Like, it it doesn't even matter. This is why, like, the idea of a closed uh, table is just, like, foolishness to me. Um, Um, Where it's like, you have to be baptized. You have to be a member of the church or whatever before you can receive you. Like, I think that's complete bullshit. Like, sorry, Catholics. <laughs> I, I know you've, you've been doing this for a lot longer than I have, but like, I think that's really bad policy. Because <laughs> I just don't think that's how God works. I don't think that's how Christ works. I It's all about yeah. giving away and welcoming in. Yes. Um, there's not, there's not limits on it. Um, and so I think, I think that's another thing that, when, when we talk about equality is kind of like, you know, so you get one wafer and you get one wafer and you get one wafer. 
-hmm. But in something like liberation, it's just like, oh no, like you get as many waivers, loaves, (laughs) cups, gallons, like everyone gets what they need, all of it and more. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I just don't think God is uh, stingy. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think anything, anything where we're talking about um, who's in or out or enough, like, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't think that's the right conversation to have. Like, yes, everyone, everyone is welcome. (laughs) Um, And everyone is welcome as they are, as who they are. And -hmm. like, they don't have to change themselves to come here. Mm -hmm. Um, Coming here might change them, but not in that way. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not, going to change you into the right kind of person to be right. in the body of Christ. Like, no, like who you are can, can and needs to be who you are to be in the body of Christ. Right. Right. Oh, that's great. Let's move into our last part here, Keegan, and talk about a little bit of what real presence means. And this is something that um, has divided a lot of churches <laughs> and people have gotten really upset about, but I love the way you, you, you're choosing to think about it and really disrupting these old things or ways of thinking about it. And the two ways that I've traditionally learned thinking about the real presence. So this question of real presence is, you know, how does Christ manifest Christ's self in the elements? I think is what, is that the best way to put that? What real, you mean by real presence? Okay. Yeah. So real presence in the two traditional ways I've understood is the Catholics believe in transubstantiation, which is the elements actually change substance. The substance turns into the actual presence of Christ's actual body and blood, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of uh, non-Christians say Christians are cannibals, <laughs> <laughs> which I always, I'm like, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah okay, <laughs> yeah. There's that. I can't argue that. Uh, And then (laughs) consubstantiation is what most Protestants believe across the board is the mystical presence of Christ is present in the elements. They don't actually change substance. So you argue that both of these lines of thinking have to do with the logic of the one and kind of our Western philosophies of um, things needing to be the same. Uh, you don't have to go like, I don't really want to like break down what the logic of the one is. I feel like that would be really in just your whole Aristotelian thing. I yeah, understand. If you're, if you're listening to, to this, you can just go read uh, Laurel Schneider's Beyond Monotheism. Yeah. That'll clear everything up for you. Yeah. <laughs> but let's just say there's this one way of thinking about it for a long time that's kind of simplistic and it makes sense in that frame, that logic. Uh, but the way you're thinking about it, I think gives it so much more. I I don't know. It just gives it so much more meaning that I really want you to explain how you're thinking about polydoxy and the body of Christ is multiplicitous because I think this could help a lot of people understand the Eucharist better and give it way more texture meaning than, than how people are usually taught about it. Yeah, so my argument is basically that like transubstantiation. So so this idea that like on the surface the elements are still 
wine and bread, but the substance, the real substance underneath changes into the blood and body of Christ. I think that uh, doctrine is based on, it's, it's like, we have to make sense of this. We have to use like logic. And the only way that this can actually be the body and blood of Christ is if magically underneath this like substance that we can't actually see, but it just is, uh, if that, that has to change because obviously it's still bread and wine, Mm -hmm. but to make sense of this, the substance underneath has to change. Okay. Um, so my argument is that like that actually doesn't, doesn't fix the problem. Right. So the problem was how, um, how can we make, the body and blood be present when it's still just bread and wine. Um, And I don't think that transubstantiation fixes it. So my solution is actually really simple and kind of dumb, but it's just like, why can't bread and wine be body and blood? Like it just is. Um, And like, I fully admit like that doesn't make any sense. Um, (laughs) And like, that's why they had to like come up with all these like, mental gymnastics to like make it work Mm -hmm. um but i think that it's like you had to they were like you're like limited um in your thinking if you have to like do all these things to make it work and you could just say that it is what it is and like take jesus for his word and like he's saying this is my this is my body this is my blood and just like okay. (laughs) Um, so like, what if we just, what if we just like believed him, um, (laughs) and like, let that be it. Um, so that's kind of, kind of where I was going with that, that like, we, we don't have to be limited by, uh, the rules of reality to like experience this, like other reality that, Mm -hmm. um, is witnessed to in, the scriptures in the lives of the saints, you know, um, like we believe that this is Christ's body and blood. And so why not just let it be Christ's body and blood? Mm-hmm. Um, and like the, the fact that it doesn't really make logical sense is like kind of the point. Um, mm. because the that, mystery, you know, we got to keep yeah. some mystery in our theology. Right. And it's that's important. It's very important. And, and that's, um, that's why I think I end up uh, my, I feel like my solution is almost Lutheran in that way. So like Luther uh, um, was kind of like, that was kind of his point too. He was just like, no, it just is. It, it just is. It, it is. <laughs> um, Cause he was against transubstantiation, but like he still believed that it was really the body and blood. Whereas like, Zwingli, who he's like famously debated with, was like, yes. "No, it's just a symbol, right?" Um, right. And so he was like, "No, like it actually is, but like also transubstantiation is wrong." Um, I was so I'm so like, "Yeah." In undergrad, reading, we had to read those arguments and then write a paper about it. And I remember just being so confused as what Luther was saying. I'm like, "I know he's against transubstantiation, but like, what is he for?" Right, and that's yeah, the, yeah. I don't know, but I'm with him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's kind of, and then like, so I mentioned Laurel Schneider's book that kind of works Mm. its way in. Um, and then also I'm getting really into the work of Karen Barad, who is a physicist and a philosopher. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's doing some work with like the philosophy of like quantum physics. And so I'm getting really interested in that. I don't know shit about physics, um, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to learn. Um, but this idea of quantum entanglement, right? Yeah, so yeah. that like there is a particle right here and there's a particle way the heck over there on the other side of the universe, but they are somehow entangled. They're somehow deeply related such that if you poke this particle over here, do something to it, this one way the heck over here will react in the same way. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering now, can we use quantum entanglement as a way of talking about the body of Christ in the Eucharist, uh, the real presence, right? So like we're talking about real, we're talking about material, like actual presence, actual mm-hmm. bodies, because we are actual bodies and we're eating actual bread. Um, that is the actual body of Christ in us than as becoming us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering if like quantum entanglement has something that we can use or some way that we can think about the way we are connected mm-hmm. um, through time and space. Like there's the, mm-hmm. like the quantum part of it mm-hmm. um, down to the littlest particle. Um, it makes me think of the old African proverb. Uh, I am because we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely that's that's definitely a Eucharistic yeah. way of thinking about things for sure. Yeah. Well, I think this was like plenty, Keegan. This was <laughs> awesome. Like I have a hundred other things I could ask, but I feel like this really was the meat of what I wanted to get at. And we can I think we did enough that wasn't over the top like academic y, you know, which yeah. I could I could get into, but we talked about participatory entanglement and ontological non-separability with, right. without anyone really knowing that we did. <laughs> Don't tell them. <laughs> um, but where can people find you on the internet? You've got a website, right? Can you share yeah. the resources? My website is keganosinski.com. Um, and you can actually find these papers that we were talking about yep. on there. You could also, uh, Sarah, you could post them. Can I put them with on my this. show notes? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can okay. post links to that or the PDFs or whatever if you want. Okay, perfect. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter, at Keegs with three Zs. And that's mostly where I'm at most yeah. of the time. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Thank you, Keegan, for a lovely conversation about the Eucharist. Wraps up our time this week with Keegan But join us next week when I sit down with my Episcopal sister, Claire Brown, to chat about motherhood and priesthood. Peace, everyone.